Calling all conscious achievers who are seeking more community and connection, I've got an invitation for you. Join me at this year's Summit of Greatness this September 7th through 9th in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio to unleash your true greatness. This is the one time a year that I gather the greatness community together in person for a powerful transformative weekend. People come from all over the world and you can expect to hear from inspiring speakers like Inky Johnson, Jaspreet Singh, Vanessa Van Edwards, Jen Sincero, and many more. You'll also be able to dance your heart out to live music, get your body moving with group workouts, and connect with others at our evening socials. So if you're ready to learn, heal, and grow alongside other incredible individuals in the greatness community, then you can learn more at lewishouse.com slash summit 2023. Make sure to grab your ticket, invite your friends, and I'll see you there. We're not just victims of our environment. We are products of our environment, absolutely. We don't have any choice but to be. Humans are incredibly adaptable. What's different about us is that we're also creators of our environment. We can consciously create the environment that makes health automatic, that makes healthy choices easy and accessible. We can create an environment that makes love and joy and friendships more accessible, safety more accessible, creativity more accessible. This is what makes us so special. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launched vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Very excited about this. We've been friends for, I don't know, probably a decade now, yeah. right? It's, it's it's getting close to 10 years. It's been a while. And um, I've seen your evolution as a an expert, a thought leader, a teacher, a scientist, a researcher. And there has been a lot of information over the last specifically three years that has confused a lot of people. A lot of people have gained a lot of weight, not only emotional weight, but also physical weight. A lot of people seem to be getting sicker more than ever now. Just things are happening and they don't know why they're getting sicker. And the first question I want to ask you is around healthy habits. 
Can you share the number one reason why healthy habit changes don't work long-term for most people, especially when it comes to weight loss? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And first and foremost, we need to start with what's the situation that we're dealing with here? All right, so a paper that was just published in Metabolic Syndrome and Related Disorders detailed the health of American adults. And they established that 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. What does that mean? So we're, we're talking about blood lipids. We're talking about hormones like testosterone, estrogen, some derangement there. We're talking about blood glucose, things like C-reactive protein inflammation. We're talking about hemoglobin A1C and other blood sugar markers. I can go on and on, but metabolic health really is the foundation of health itself because the word metabolism oftentimes can get a little bit twisted. We tend to think about metabolism as burning fat, but metabolism is everything. Everything about human health and function is metabolism. What is tied into the metabolism? What does it include? Everything. So your, your cardiovascular health, your cognitive function, the health of your skin, metabolism is, is taking place with every organ, tissue, and cell in your body. So this is number one is 88% of American adults are now established to be metabolically unhealthy. 88%. But pair this with the CDC just published some new data this year. They established that 60% of American citizens now have at least one chronic disease. 40, 60. 40% have two or more chronic diseases. Come on. All right. So what, this I'm, is what I'm setting up here. Yeah. What I'm setting up here is looking at what is the, what is the conditions that we're in when we're trying to change our habits? What does society actually look like? Let me share just a couple other stats with you. Right now we're knocking on the door. We, we have over 43% obesity rate here in the United States. Didn't right. it used to be like a third, like a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. Now it's 43%. There's been a titanic jump during the pandemic. As you set things up with the last three years, those numbers haven't even come out yet. We do know, according to the CDC, that childhood obesity essentially tripled oh my during gosh. that time frame for certain groups of children, children that were moderately obese, and even children who were of a healthy weight gained an excess, excessive amount of annual weight. So going from like two pounds a year to... To, to almost five pounds. Now, so, what, is, what is obesity mean? That's a BMI metric, by okay. the way. So this can also get into a little bit of controversy. Like, is that the right thing? Because a running back who's five foot nine, 200 pounds, he'd be considered, right, to be o overweight and, and teetering into obesity. But he's a running back with probably 8% body. Like, right. But that's not what we're talking about. Uh -huh. We know that. Yeah. We know that obesity has reached beyond epidemic proportions here in the United States. But according to BMI, that's the the big metric, the big metric that's being used. You know, uh, we've we're, we've got just like I said, forty three percent of American adults are clinically obese now, and with the, until twenty thirty, which is less than seven years away right now, it's projected that we're going to hit fifty percent obesity in our society. What was what was it ten years ago? The obesity rate in America, do we know? Roughly about a decade ago, it was somewhere around thirty five percent, thirty three percent, like you said, okay. about a third. Now, and now it's 43%. So it's gone up 10% in a decade. Now, we're just talking about obesity. We're not talking about the inclusion of overweight and obesity. If what's we bring those together, we're at almost 80% of Holy our cow. What's the difference between obesity and overweight? It's just going up in that BMI number. Even more. Yeah. So overweight is more than obesity or is it less no. than obesity? Obesity is more than overweight. Okay. Right. And so the, then we have... 
degrees beyond that, morbidly obese, for right. example. And even those numbers, again, we have television shows now. We like, we turn this into entertainment, right? And even dating back to when we had shows like The Biggest Loser, for example, and early on in that process, actually, I've been reached out to several times to participate in those types of shows. And of course, I've, I've uh, respectfully declined because it's putting on this entertainment factor and this kind of concentrated effort for somebody to lose weight without really addressing the root cause of the obesity of getting into the situation. And this is what I was wanting to set up is that if we're looking at habit change and truly having sustainable weight loss, you would have to do something that is incredibly abnormal in our culture. The majority of citizens in our culture today are unwell. And we've had a, a massive transformation in the state of our health as a society in recent decades. Many conditions that were relatively rare are now normal, right? So if we're talking about things like obesity, for example, that is and, and type two diabetes, for example, that's there's a paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and the paper is essentially titled 20 years of, di of diabetes. And what they found was that in the last 40 years, diabetes in the United States has quadrupled, right? So not just doubled, not tripled, but quadrupled. Something, something truly phenomenal has taken place, all right? Was now, type two diabetes a thing, you know, back in the day? Was it even? Yeah, but it was rare, it was rare. Today, it is, again, it's becoming normalized where we have somewhere around 130 million Americans have type 2 diabetes Come or, or pre-diabetes. This is facts, man. That's like half America. About a third. A third of America. About a third, yeah. yeah. But type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. Okay. Okay. And so and what this does pre-diabetes mean? This is getting back into my original statement about metabolic health. All right. So with pre-diabetes, we're going to see elevated blood glucose, right? So fasting glucose numbers. We're going to see potentially and very likely abnormalities in something called hemoglobin A1C. So your blood glucose is like a snapshot, all right? So right now, if we both were to chug a lug, you know, uh, some Coca-Cola, and then we get our blood glucose uh, taken, it can look like, oh man, we're like, we have prediabetes, really? right? But it's just a snapshot, right? It's a snapshot. And you got to think about the conditions. Hemoglobin A1C or A1C that's more like taking a movie. It's like looking at the the activity of your blood and your blood cells over a longer period of time. And that number is a much more valuable or valid number, but it's not as easy to get. You can't just do a, a finger prick at your local you know, pharmacy most often to get that number. Like it's getting a blood panel done right. would, be, would be helpful. And also talking with a, a physician who understands some of these metrics. But here's the thing. If we have abnormal blood glucose like that, what will happen here, or pre-diabetes or diabetes is that will get put on to metformin or will get put on to potentially, depending on the state of your pancreas and the beta cells and the insulin you're producing, you can start taking exogenous insulin to try to manage your blood sugar because having high amounts of blood sugar is really dangerous. We didn't evolve having a lot of sugar in our blood. And so today, you guzzle a Mountain Dew and some Funyuns, like there's gonna be so much glucose in your, in your bloodstream that it can start to tear things apart very quickly. And so this is why insulin is so important because it takes and shuttles that glucose out of the blood. It starts to store it away in your cells, namely your fat cells, namely your muscle cells potentially. But insulin resistance isn't just about fat. It's, all, it's also about your muscle cells. 
because this is a primary site for glucose uptake is in your muscles. And so, but here's the thing, Lewis, are we dealing with an obesity crisis today? And this is our friend, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon has talked about this. Or, or are muscle we doing with a lack of muscle problem? Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about, so say that one more time. Are we dealing with a body fat issue as a society? Or are we dealing with, are we, are we dealing with a lack of muscle issue? It's both. It's both. I was just thinking with the amount of sugar, I mean, I used to have, I don't know, eight to 10 Dr. Peppers a day in the summer as a kid growing <laughs> up in Ohio, just like, but, but, and I wonder That's if crazy. I would, I wonder if I would have pre-diabetes or type two diabetes if I didn't work out as hard as I did for most of my life. Yeah. If I wasn't lifting, if I wasn't running, if I wasn't jumping, if I wasn't ex doing explosive activities. That was saving you. That was, if I wasn't on sports teams, like just pushing my muscles and my body, building strength during that time, I think I would have been extremely obese. But what you were doing, even though your body was metabolizing this this input, right? Because it isn't just food or isn't just a beverage, it's information. You're also accelerating your aging process. Yeah, I know. That's the thing, because it's not just I'm burning off this fuel. What type of fuel is it? Is it aging your vehicle, mm. right? Because it's low quality. And again, it's not just the fact that you're making your cells out of Dr. Pepper, right? Because crazy, your body's going to be utilizing the materials you give it, but also the fuel that your cells are running on and how your cells are communicating are going to be based on Dr. Pepper, all right? <laughs> and so, you know what I'm saying? And, and, based and, on 60 chemicals yeah, in, I mean, in man, sugar water. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. You know, if you really think about what is probably the, the number one most inflammatory from a metabolic derangement standpoint thing that we consume in our society, it's a liquid sugar, all right? Liquid because calories. Liquid, liquid sugar specifically. Wow. Though. If it's coming in liquid form because it's going to hit your, your stomach, your small intestine, your, your large intestine, it's just going to hit your system so much faster, get shuttled into your bloodstream, your liver, all this stuff is getting hit so quickly because there isn't much, as much digestive energy needed to break it down. It's just like pure, uncut Ugh. cocaine. You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's dangerous. So what do you think is the root cause to the acceleration of obesity in America and around the world and the acceleration of type two diabetes and so many other chronic illnesses? Let's what is go. the root cause? Is it psychological? Is it emotional? Is it our environments? Is it the excess of all the foods that are available, that are processed? Is it our lack of forming uh, stable habits and discipline? Like what is causing us to consume so much things that hurt us and kill us younger? Yeah, this is what it's all about. This is what this conversation is all about. And I really think we can make a big change from this conversation and the people that we're both collectively able to reach. We can create a tipping point to help to normalize health again. Because what I was doing is setting up the state that we're existing in right yes. now. It is very difficult to be healthy in a culture that is largely unhealthy, mm. in a culture that is constantly feeding you messages and information and conditions that make being unhealthy so easy, right? And so- And what, fun and fulfilling and you know exciting and all these things, like to have all these foods- On the surface, right. on the surface, right? But it's not fun when we have diabetes. It's not fun when we have Alzheimer's disease. That is not fun. And so what we're talking about here is the culture we're existing in. And this is really the root cause. The primary reason that we're unable to make 
healthy changes long-term is that we're existing in a culture that is largely unhealthy. And so what does this really mean? Well, culture is defined as the values, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors of a group of people that is then passed down to future generations. All right. So the culture that we're existing is, is determining what we are aware of, how we think about things, how we interact with our world, how we interact with the people in our environment, the world around us, the food choices that we make is based on our culture. And so today, the majority of American citizens are born into a culture that is feeding them messages that are, is creating conditions around them that are making unhealthy choices so accessible. As a matter of fact, it's making it normal. Now, let me give you an example. So if, for example, we would go to a hunter-gatherer tribe, right? So like the Hadza, we still have hunter-gatherer tribes in the world, right? Now, not to say that they don't have like a, you know, a nice t-shirt or something every now and then they might get from, you know, but largely there's, their, their culture is constructed in a way where an underlying belief is if you don't move, you die. Ugh. Because movement is required for you to procure your food, for you to hunt, for you to gather, for you to get water. You have to move or you will die. So it's embedded in the culture that movement is a part of life. Here in the United States, we're the most sedentary culture in the history of humanity. All right. We've done more and more things, more innovation that has taken, taken movement and activity out of it. All right. Now, again, it can be under the guise of doing something positive, right? Automation. But if we're taking away something our genes expect us to do, which is to move, what are going to be the downsides? Now, also within the hunter-gatherer tribe, because of their culture, it blocks them from the awareness that 7-Eleven exists, that quick trip is a thing, right? That they can just, instead of going out and throwing a spear through an antelope, they can throw a spear through a hot dog, right? They could throw a net over nachos with chili and cheese. Right, right. right? They're not aware that that exists. Now, again, they don't have access to it. It's exactly. not accessible. It's not a yeah. part of their reality. It's not a convenience store on the corner. Exactly. Now, this is not to say that there isn't a hunter gatherer out there who knows what Seven Eleven. Right, right, right. But overall, hopefully, people are understanding the analogy here. Now, to bring this to reality for 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 me to use an example, I grew up in conditions where it's a glorified food desert, right? And I, I struggled to use the word food desert because it sounds, still sounds kind of good, like a desert. I think of boys to men videos, like, you know, water run dry. Right. A food desert is not a good place to be, all right? So we're on food stamps, we're on WIC, we're getting money, uh, we're getting food from charities. And in St. Louis? In St. Louis, yeah. So like the Hosea house, we would get basically handouts yes. for toys and for during Christmas time and for food. Mm -hmm. And from my childhood into my adulthood, when I was in my university, I was going to college, working on my undergrad degree, all right? I was living in Ferguson, Missouri. And in Ferguson, Missouri, it is one of the most populated with fast foods per square foot of any place in America. Really? Yeah. Ferguson? Yeah. And so when I go out my door within a two mile radius, there's every fast food place that you can name. It's just all I'm, I'm surrounded by, not to mention all the convenience stores, not to mention the check cashing places, not to mention- Dollar General stores or whatever else, yeah. And not to, not to mention the lack of anything that is affirming health. There, mm. I didn't know what yoga was. There was no yoga studios, right. are you kidding me? There's no gyms. There's no gyms, right? So if I go outside of my environment, I can get to those things. Now, ironically, the university that I went to, the, the University of Missouri-St. Louis, 
was just outside of Ferguson, all right, just on the outside of, of the outskirts, and I had access to that. So that's where I turned my health around was at the university gym. That was kind of my low-hanging fruit. But most of the people in my community didn't have access to that. And so, you know, you got to think about what choices am I going to make when I go out my door if all I see is ultra-processed foods? That's all that I knew really existed. I didn't know there was a difference between fish sticks or wild-caught cod <laughs> yeah, or yeah. salmon. Like, yeah. it's just food for me. And it's cheap. That's the other part. It's affordable. The yeah. low income environment that I'm in, and I can get two for 99 tacos, two for 99 cent tacos at Jack in the Box, or I could spend $3 to get an avocado. Like, why on earth would I get an avocado? Well, there's two, there's a couple of things here to talk about. One, because there was a time in my life, six months, where I was on food stamps when I was actually a professional athlete, but on food stamps because we got paid $250 a week. We got free housing and we had a roommate. Uh, which was an apartment. And then we had, uh, they gave us free food stamps for the local fast food restaurants, right? This is a professional athlete playing arena football. So I'm eating every type of sandwich and burger and whatever else I can find. And I'm trading with my teammates of like, hey, I want this thing and I'll trade you this, like the food stamps. It was like food. You can't live off a couple hundred bucks a week, really. In America, at least, it's challenging. And, um, so I was grateful for the the support when I didn't have the finances to go and buy food, right? My own food or healthier food. And I think these programs that provide food stamps, charity food, you know, when the restaurants give food or the grocery stores give food to local charities, I think that's a powerful thing. We need those things. But there's also something that happened to me once I started to make a little bit more money and I could afford my own apartment and I could afford my own food at the grocery store. I didn't choose healthy. Even though I had the ability to, I didn't choose healthier for many, many years. And now is that, how do we get to the place where we start to choose healthy when we have the option as opposed to, man, this is convenient. The Starbucks, oh, I'm just going to get all the sugary drinks. I'm going to get the the cookies, I'm gonna, you know, when you have the money to buy healthy food, but you still choose the convenience, the high sugar, the high calorie foods that have a lack of nutrition, why does that take place? Your culture's already inundated you with the deliciousness, the perceived deliciousness of all these ultra processed foods. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. 
One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too. in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. In the United States, the average American adult, and according to the BMJ, it's one of the most prestigious medical journals, British Medical Journal, 60% of the average American's diet is ultra-processed foods. All right. Now, the revelation that I'm bringing forth in this new project, the Smarter Family Cookbook, is that a new study that was published in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, found that almost 70% of the average child's diet is ultra-processed foods. Ooh. All right. So you're inundated as a child here in the United States. If you're average, if you're the average child, you're inundated with ultra-processed foods that is engineered by brilliant food scientists to taste a certain way that has this excitatory thing that influences what's happening with your dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, adrenaline, all these different hormones that make you feel exhilarated, that make you feel pleasure, right? And so it's not just a taste thing, it's a addiction thing that is taking place with our children, all right? And so you're inundated with this. Why would you even consider eating, quote, healthy? It just it doesn't even sound right. Right. You know, especially I'm tasty and, and you're young and so you're, you've got you're all these metabolic yeah, benefits yeah, yeah. on your side, right? And so this you're going to have the candy, the ice cream, the processed food, the packaged food all day long. Absolutely. The, the fast foods, all that if stuff. You, if you're a free range child in America, like we got free range chicken out here. If you're a free range <laughs> child in America, you're going to go for ultra processed foods. And let's make a distinction to it. People are curious. What is ultra processed foods? So processing of foods has been done by humans for thousands upon thousands of years. All right. And it's just taking a food and and processing it in a way that makes it palatable, that makes it easy to store, to make it easy to trade, and to make it more enjoyable. So processing would be something like taking olives and using a stone press to make olive oil, right? That's extra virgin olive oil today, right? And something like tomatoes and making a pasta sauce. You can still tell where it came from. It's like right, a, right. a one step and then maybe adding some spices, some cooking, that kind of thing. Ultra processed foods is when the food is harvested. We'll just say a base food substrate. So we'll, we'll say corn, for example. And the corn itself uses kind of a, a base and also as a sweetener, right? High fructose corn syrup, but corn syrup. 
And somehow that corn, that field of corn that you're looking at becomes pop cereal. All right, gotta have my pops, right? You don't know, you no longer, that hunter gatherer, if they were to see that box of cereal, they would have no idea where it came from. There's no essence left. It's been processed so much. All these different, not only breaking that, that corn down into sugar and different substrates, but the additives, the flavors, the added flavors, added preservatives, colorings, food, food dyes, yeah. which we have strong data on this now of this being one of the underlying causative agents in attention deficit and hyperactivity disorders mm, really? are food dyes. Many food dyes have actually been banned in other countries that are still largely used here in the United States because they're dip disruptive to our nervous system, especially for our kids. And so again, really starting to unpack these things, you start to realize like, we're so disconnected from our food, it's scary because not that long ago, we, we evolved really. If we just take out the last hundred years, just throw that, put that to the side. If we look at the thousands upon thousands of years of humanity before that, our food, we were deeply connected to it. It was a tribal thing. We all had responsibilities in procuring our food. And not just that, the, the acquisition of the food, the preparation of the food, and the eating of the food was a community thing, all right? It was that's something you talk about with your new cookbook, which is about really eating healthy foods that taste delicious with family. Because we've lost the art of connecting with family when we eat. Everything is fast or convenient or watching with the TV on, which I'm guilty of half the time, um, but not as a community. And you talk about in your book about how, you know, when you deal with family or friends you care about and you're eating meals together, that you're specifically creating together or having some element or role in the creation process, how much more powerful is doing that consistently over time versus eating isolated and eating pro ultra processed foods by yourself? Yeah. The last time I saw you, that's what we were doing. Yeah. Eating together. It was a celebration right. for you, for that's your right. birthday. Yeah. It was one of the most magical days, right? We'll always remember that experience. And funny enough, this was normal. I just came back from Maui, for example. This was normal, this celebration around food, right? Having a luau, like this is kind of like maybe a commercial aspect of it now, but it's deeply rooted in sharing a food with your tribe, right? And celebrating life, celebrating our connection to food and to each other. And this is the mission right now. Now we're getting to how do we fix this? I talked about the, the larger culture scape that we're existing in. And culture's like an invisible hand that's guiding our behaviors. We think we have free will, but our culture is really deciding what we're aware of and the choices that we have. Now, how do we change this culture? We start with our own family. We start with the controlling the controllables, all right? Because I've been in this field for over 20 years and Thinking about all the time I've spent trying to target the bigger culture, it's very, very difficult. And what I found to be the most effective is changing the culture from within, starting with yourself, your family, that starts to bleed out to your community. People start to see things different. They see an example. I didn't, I didn't see any examples when I lived in Ferguson, Missouri. I didn't see what health looked like. And so for people to see me and my family, knowing where I come from, it changes everything. Now, how does eating together with friends and family start to shift this culture? Well, according to the data, I'm going to share three powerful studies with you. It's creating a protection for our health 
that heretofore we didn't really understand. What does that mean? Science. So, eating together with friends and family, and we start with study number one. This is researchers from Harvard. They gathered all this data on family behaviors around eating, and they found that families that consistently eat together have a higher consumption of vital nutrients that prevent chronic diseases and lower intake of ultra-processed foods. Really? All right. So this is Harvard research. Why is that? Why do you think that is? There's a couple of reasons why. And I break this down in the book because that's, I'm a why guy. I want to know why. Right, right. And so one of the things that really jumps out is the intention behind eating together as, as a family, right? There's an intentional meal planning that's automatically going to take place. It's not going to be across the board all the time, but if you know I'm having family dinner tonight, you're thinking about it. It's a it's an unconscious, subconscious thought process. It's like, okay, we got to plan, like, what are we going to have, right? Whereas today, if we're not, if we don't have this as a constant structure, DoorDash is on tap, right? Or just picking up something because we're not thinking of, but we, we, we make the food decision last minute and that's okay because we have access to that. That's okay. But when that becomes normalized, we get more and more separate from each other and also this protective mechanism for our health. So that's study number one. That's from researchers at Harvard. Now, this next one was cited in the Journal of Nutrition, Education, and Behavior. And they looked at family behavior around food and the outcomes for the, for the children specifically. And they found that families who eat breakfast with their kids, parents who eat breakfast with their children four times a week had dramatically lower intake of ultra-processed foods, higher intake of vital nutrients, at least five servings of fruits and vegetables at each day most days of the week and the least the list goes on and on and all these different benefits they were seeing but this is the most important part about this study and by the way they found that when the tv was rarely or never on for these families they had an even further drop in their consumption of ultra processed foods the kids specifically right because of that marketing that advertisement now the most important part of it, about the study is that this was looking at minority children who would generally be in the context of low income conditions families like mine. We didn't know that eating together could help to protect our health in some strange way. But had we known, even if we were eating processed foods, just the behavior of eating together, it starts to create this protection. I'm going to share with you why. This leads to the next study. This was a collaboration of studies. This was actually published in Pediatrics and the Journal of the American Medical Association. And I'm going to get all these resources and link them up for you guys too. Yeah. And they're all in the book detailed oh, as perfect. well in the, in the awesome. family cookbook. And so what these researchers uncovered was that, and this is the most important takeaway from today. This is the one, do this one thing. They found that families who eat together any meal three times a week. Okay. So parents eating together with their children or parent eating together with their children, just three times a week, dramatically decreased overweight and obesity in the children and decreased eating disorders and just overall decreasing the risk of the onset of early mortality and chronic diseases wow. by eating together with your family three times. That's fascinating. All right. This is the major takeaway that I want people to take on and make that a mandate, make it a mission to eat with your family, eat with friends three times a week, plan it, add it to your calendar because today we've got a lot of stuff going on. And a lot of times if you don't put on your schedule, it's not real. Like literally plan it out. This could be whatever flavor it looks like for you. This could be, you know, family dinner on Wednesday and Thursday and then brunch on Sunday, right? Just whatever works for you. But there's something really special 
about this process and we can unpack more of this why, but also the psychological aspect. And this was shown in data looking at adults and how eating together with their family dramatically decreased their stress levels. This was, re this was coming from a, a, a population of workers from IBM and they found that as long as the workers were able to get home and have dinner with their family, it kept work morale high. But as soon as their work schedule and the demands start to dig into them spending time with their family and getting home in time for dinner, their work morale start to go down, their stress levels elevated. Now, why does this matter overall? Well, and this is another big takeaway from today. And this research as well is published in JAMA. But the research, this was a meta-analysis, and the researchers determined that upwards of 80% of all physician visits today are for stress-related diseases. 80%? Up to 80% because of the stress-related component. Because stress isn't just something that's invisible. Your thoughts create correlating chemistry in your body instantaneously. And so if you're having these habitual stressful thoughts and automatic negative thoughts, as our friend Daniel Amen discusses, when this is on automatic for yourself, you're just releasing these, these chemicals, a chemical cascade that can lean towards toxicity. They can be great in the short term to help you to survive short-term stress, acute stressors, but we were never designed to carry constant emotional stress, constant mental stress, constant environmental stress. So a lot of people might hear that and be like, well, I'm not that stressed. You know, my work isn't that stressful. We got to talk about this, something called an allostatic load and your overall stress load. So what goes into your stress load individually? Well, we do have work stress. Yeah, that's a common one. We have relationship stress. A relation, relationship stress can mess you up. Oh, man. It can mess you up. I was messed up for about 15 years in different relationships, <laughs> man. It, it was like, it'll mess your health up. Absolutely. Your mind up. Absolutely. Your, your energy flow, everything. And it's based on your perception. Wow. It's based on your perception. It's where you think about it. And the correlating chemistry that you're going to be creating. The most powerful pharmacy in the universe is in your body. 100%. Because it's, it, this isn't bioidentical. It is identical. It, it's the, you're creating chemistry for your receptor sites designed in you for you. There's nothing else more powerful than that. And so we've got, of course, there also, there's some great breakup songs out there. All right. Some great love <laughs> songs that come from that. There, there's that. So we've got, we've got work stress. We've got relationship stress. We've got mental stress, emotional stress. We've got exercise stress. Exercise stress is, is what's known as a hormetic stressor. It's a good stress if you're able to heal from it and recover because the exercise isn't making the magic happen. It's tearing you down. The magic comes when you're able to recover, rebuild, come back better. But add that on to an already stressed person, spiritual stress. What if you feel disconnected? What if you feel like you're lacking purpose and significance, right? All these things, it starts to add into that overall stress load. And now here's an, another huge one, environmental stress. The environment that we are living in today is very, very different from what our ancestors evolved in, right? There are tens of thousands of chem synthetic, newly invented chemicals. And we're talking about millions of tons released into our environment. And so the very air that we're breathing is different. And to take this into one of the cultural contagions that we need to protect our family from within our own household, uh, a really good friend of mine, and she's one of the most brilliant researchers. She's the, the leading authority in the world on dietary oils. All right. So her name's Dr. Kate Shanahan. She has background as a family physician, but also she was a nutritionist for the Lakers during Kobe's time wow. there, later in his career. 
helping to extend his career. Every time he would go to a different hotel and travel, he's bringing bone, bone broth, broth or finding a place where they would make it. Like that was one of his things. Bone broth. That she introduced, yeah. And also the, the White Howard was there too. And she was like, he had the worst diet. He was eating all this candy and whatnot. Some of these guys, you hear about these NBA, NFL guys, it's like just candy half the day. Yeah. And they're just genetic freaks though. Yeah. Well, we'll see but, what happens. We'll see. Yeah. But the injuries start to come. You start to feel tired. Yeah. yeah. But Kobe wasn't like that. Kobe was always looking for the edge. He was. Right. And so anyways, so she's got this huge database of research on dietary oils. And one of the research papers that she shared with me, and this blew my mind. Like I, and I had to sit with it. Like I, I had to really sit and think about it. We're taking muscle biopsies of human fat cells back in the earlier part, like the 19, around the 1900s, and to see what makes up a human fat cell, what is, what's in there. And in the biopsy, they found that the fat cell itself was made of about 2% PUFAs, okay? PUFAs are polyunsaturated fatty acids, all right? And they're naturally occurring in different plant foods like nuts and seeds, for example. And so that's all good. Now, they recently took biopsies of fat cells of modern humans and they found that the average fat cell was made up of about 25% PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Now, why does this matter? Polyunsaturated fatty acids are by their very nature, very unstable, right? They're by their very nature, very pro-inflammatory and they are a byproduct oftentimes, unfortunately, are coming along with things that stir about something called these reactive oxygen species or accelerated oxidation of your cells or accelerated aging to put it bluntly all right now what does this mean for us about the span of about 100 years two percent polyunsaturated fatty acids make up our cell fat cells to now 25 percent what does this mean for us the very ingredients that make up human beings has changed dramatically huh the recipe for making a human is dramatically different, all right? And wondering why we're having such poor health outcomes. Could this be one of the causative agents when we're talking about our switchover in the oils that we're consuming? Where are we getting all these polyunsaturated fatty acids? Ultra-processed foods that are riddled with vegetable oils, canola oils, and all these unstable oils. And by the way, I encourage people, we'll put in the show notes as well, to, to go to YouTube and look up how canola oil is made, all right? And just watch, watch. Wow. All right? It is going to shock you. If you look at olive oil, right? Or extra virgin olive oil, that means it's cold pressed, and you're pressing olives, and you get the oil. That's it. You're just pressing it down, and then oil comes out. When you see how canola oil is made, to be able to extract from the canola plant that amount of oil, it is, it is scary. And really? So it's all this chemical processing, all these solvents, deodorizers, and, and by the way, because it stinks, you know, they're trying to, to nullify and neutralize the smell. And a lot of infl even inflammatory, like I'm talking about literally being able to catch on fire type of chemicals used in this process and to get something that looks uniform and clean. And then they put it in a plastic bottle, sit on, sit on store shelves, and plastics don't just biodegrade, they photodegrade. So light is breaking it down over time, by the way. And there's been a lot of science. I've talked about this on past shows about bisphenol A. What are the, what are the, what would you say are the three oils we should try to eliminate from our diet and then three healthier oils that 
may even have some benefits. Yeah. Let's stay right here with extra virgin olive, extra virgin olive oil. So one of the studies that I shared in the new book, in the East Mortar Family Cookbook, looks at olive oil and researchers at Auburn determining that olive oil can actually help to reduce inflammation in the brain and help to heal the blood-brain barrier. Incredibly, like that's, that's astronomically powerful. Mm -hmm. Like why is this oil, why does it have such a resonance with the human brain and nervous system? That's amazing. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. And this is more mono and saturated fatty acids, by the way. And also, if it's treated right, it's going to be bottled in dark glass because it's sensitive to light and heat. And so even using it, by the way, we want to make sure that we're not using it on too high of heat. And also, traditionally, maybe finishing your dishes with it, right? So you plate your, your food or using it for salad dresses, pour on some olive oil, right? Our mutual friend, Dr. Stephen Gundry. He's a he olive obsessed oil with fanatic. olive oil. It's like drink it every day. Look at his results. Yeah. My guy is, you know, he's in his senior years, big time, and he's just so on point. Like his cognition, yeah. his health, his energy. Last time I talked to him, he was like on a ski trip somewhere. Just it's it's amazing to see. He takes like a shot a day of olive oil, right? Yeah. And it's just like a crazy old man. Yeah. Or he's <laughs> like, oh no, he actually is looking at the data. Uh-huh. And so so that that would be one in the healthy category. And Another one, now this one, there's a little bit of, by the way, none of these are 100% across the board for everybody, all right? We've got to keep that in mind. The new, the future of nutrition and health is personalization. For some people, olive oil is not your thing. You might have background genetics that don't metabolize this particular oil a certain way or small amounts or whatever the case might be. So you got to keep that in mind. So we've got nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics are going to be some of the leading fields of science. Looking at how what you eat influences your genetic expression and also your, your set of genes, how it's catering towards certain things being better for you versus other things, right? Versus your friend, versus your wife, versus your brother, all right? Everybody has our unique cascade of genes. And on top of that, microbial genes, all right? So all the genes that make up your microbiome, all the bacteria that make up your microbiome, they have their own genes. If we go gene for gene in the human body, 99% of your genes are bacterial. It's the little critters, their genes. Right. And so now 
where we're at today with science. We're looking at how our bacteria's genes are affecting our human gene expression. All right, so we can go down the rabbit hole. Sure, here, sure, sure. But just circle this back to another oil for us to, to look at would be avocado oil. Mm. Avocado oil's hot out here in the streets. We Again, like it. You'd want that to come in a dark bottle. It's more, it's higher in monounsaturated fats. And it's coming from a real food, all right? An avocado. It's, it's, it's a lot more close touch than trying to process corn and make it into an oil, all right? So, and that leads over to, and those are just a couple. What you about- know, For the audience watching or listening, I had my first taste of guacamole at your place. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Actually, had my, this is, sounds bad, but as a 40-year-old man, I, I had my first avocado, like hard avocado, about a month ago. Congratulations. <laughs> You're a big boy. I still have the palate of like a seven-year-old <laughs> child. But, uh, but every time you've been with us, we've introduced something. I know. New, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm scared. But did I do it? I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. But it's Put also salt out there. You these know? great food experiences, you know, because you tore that guacamole up. Let's be honest. I did. It was and good. And also, like the cookies that my wife made back in oh, St. Man. Louis, for example, like very, again, using higher quality ingredients, but still, like every now and then you want a cookie. Nah, give me some of those. You know, I think we had a casserole too. Over here, man. When you that casserole is amazing. Yeah. Yo, when you come by, Dude, I'm in. we've got some great stuff. For I'm you. in. Okay, so we so, got olive oil, avocado, avocado oil, oil, all in dark bottles. What would be one more, you think? All right, Is there so, one more? Or? Of course, man, there's so many. There's so many popping in mind. There's good but, oils. Yeah, but there's a caveat here. So there are these ca this category of seed oils, which that in and of itself, unfortunately, is going to invoke some controversy. And what I want to implore everybody who is really about that life and nutrition, let's come together. Let's have healthier conversations and not become so black or white or dogmatic about a certain thing. So seed oils in general, the, the majority of these seed oils out here on the streets that are riddling, riddled in uh, processed foods, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about hemp oil, flaxseed oil, chia oil, that's cold processed, all right? That's stored in shelf stable ways. It's generally gonna be in a refrigerated section. You can find some really valid benefits here that's backed up with peer reviewed data. All right, so there's a plant form of omega-3s that can be utilized as an energy source by the body pretty efficiently and also can get converted into some of the omega-3s, DHA and EPA to help to fuel your brain and nervous system. Now, your conversion process is going to depend on you. It's going to depend on your genes, your microbiome, your overall metabolic health. But so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But first of all, who is that analogy come from? That's oh, terrible. Yeah. All right, who's throwing babies out? But with seed oils just being all bad, all right, certain seeds, but the important thing is they cannot be exposed to very much heat at all. Are they going to become oxidized and rancid? So th those are the ones I would say. And as far as the ones to avoid, absolutely avoid um, vegetable oil, quote, vegetable oil. It's not made from vegetables, by the way. All right. It's the framing because it sounds healthy. You throw, this is called health washing. Throwing the label on a thing and making it sound like it's healthy. And marketers are using this like crazy now, right? So you can get a box of Cheerios. It's like, it's heart healthy, right? Honey Nut Cheerios. Lower right? cholesterol. Lowers your, they, had to, they actually had to change that. Really? Yeah. Because they finally face some backlash. And, um, but also they'll, now it'll say gluten-free, right? Gluten-free. Oh, you're a gluten-free diet. Or like, they're just fat-free, right? They're still throwing these catchphrases onto things with an ultra-processed bowl of crap. But by the way, vegetable oil, I put this study in the book as well. This was published in the journal Inhalation Toxicology. So it's the top journal looking at 
how in, inhaling different things, fumes and things like that, creates toxicity in the human body and other uh, animals as well. What the researchers found was that just smelling vegetable oil during cooking can damage your DNA. Holy cow. Just smelling it. Now, is there any, is there any studies, I'm sure there are, that you're aware of, and maybe you don't have the data with you right now, but are there any studies that talk about if you smoke cigarettes, smoke weed, smoke, um, what are the other things that people are doing? Vaping. Vaping. If you're cigarettes, weed, vaping, or inhaling any types of toxic smokes, or if you're drinking alcohol or taking other prescription or non-prescription drugs recreationally, how does that affect your body, your DNA, your metabolism, whether you eat unhealthy pro ultra processed foods or if you're eating healthy foods, but doing these other drugs and substances? Is there any data that talks about that? Wow, man, that's, that's a huge question. And that's a huge array of inputs. And so the overarching piece here, number one is understanding, okay, what have we evolved having exposure to, right? And the concentrations that we're getting exposed to because the, in, the, the conversation around something like marijuana, for example, can be very inflammatory. But have humans been consuming some form of that throughout our evolution? And what are people smoking today though, right? What? And so adding all these pieces together and on top of polypharmacy, which is multiple medications, right now in the United States, about 70% of our adult citizens are on some form of prescription drug. Or 70%? Yeah, yeah, 70%. Do we know that? Yeah. So it's normal. It's normal to be on medications. And also is that America or is that worldwide? It's here in the United States. We're the most, we love drugs. We love them. Here in the United States, by far, we're the most, we're the most chronically diseased society in the world and also the, the, the biggest consumers of pharmaceuticals, of course, because we have this mismatch going on. Here in the United States, just last year, we had a $4.2 trillion invested into our healthcare system. 4.2 trillion. We can't even fathom. We can't fathom how much money that is. All right. And the next closest country is like, we're four times. It's not even close, like how far away we are on our healthcare investment, but we're not getting better. That's are, the thing. What are some of the healthiest countries that take the least amount of uh, Japan is drugs right, that have the sure. least amount of obesity? Japan's on the other end of the spectrum with obesity. Really? But also again, there's- They also have like high suicide rates too, don't they? Or- Every, every country has their thing. Right, you know? right. But also you've got to look at with something like that, that might not necessarily be a result of food. We're not just this linear thing. This could be a cultural thing where this perceived stress, the perceived value, the list goes on. And Pressure on. in other ways, yeah. But overall, chronic diseases are extremely low compared to us. Obesity, extremely low compared to us. And this was getting me to my point of what you talked about, all of those different pieces, how does that affect our health outcomes? With polypharmacy, there was a paper, we, we might've talked about this during the, the age of, you know, the, the virus that took over our lives. And there was a paper that was published looking at polypharmacy specifically and finding dramatically higher rates of infection and severe outcomes from the virus when people are on multiple medications. And the biggest culprits were PPIs, proton pump inhibitors or acid blockers. Why would that be? Well, your stomach acid is incredibly important in neutralizing, right? Parasites, right. viruses, 
invaders coming into your system, which this is going to be your immune system is right there, a cell layer, just one cell distance between your gut and your immune system. All right. Your immune system is mostly located right around your gut. But if we're, if we're taking something, a chemical in a drug or smoking something and then we're ingesting it, how does that impact our metabolism? I was going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so number one, just really quickly, PPIs, um, opioids was the second and also psychiatric medication. So antipsychotics. Those anti are the three biggest antidepressants or yes, anti, yeah. three biggest culprits leading to poor outcomes. Looking at again, when, when folks are consuming pharmaceuticals and having poor outcomes from that virus, so making you more susceptible to infectious diseases. Okay. Now, why is this? I can go through multiple layers on this. Let's look at the big one of the big agents here, and this would be the way that it impacts your liver. Your liver is responsible for drug metabolism. That's like. Even the, let me give some respect to the liver. Okay, what what word is in liver? Live, live, in it, right? It's just using etymology. Like it's got some really important relevance for human health and, and functionality and our survival. A liver isn't something you could just get a new one. All right, but also the liver is the most regenerative organ in our bodies. Out you know outside of like skin things like that. But your liver, you can get a portion of it sliced off and you can grow some of that liver back. Wow. Which is very, that's, that's like, some, that's like some lizard stuff that <laughs> our sure. bodies can do. Man, growing another know. tail. Yeah. Yeah. Our livers are very regenerative and they do so much to protect us. And again, it's responsible for drug metabolism. So all of those foreign items that are coming in, your liver is doing Gosh. its very best. It's doing a lot of work to process, but also to, to, to compartmentalize and send things different places, but also to store things. This is why today, we have an epidemic. This is one of the leading causative agents for so many chronic diseases, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. What does that mean? So oftentimes fatty liver disease, we relate it, well, just historically it was related to people who were drinking a lot. All right. And the they would liver this, couldn't take all the yeah, alcohol. It would, it would basically become, have an obese liver. Inflamed. Inf incredibly inflamed. And, and it wouldn't be able to process exactly. anything. Exactly. And your, and your liver also, again, it's in, don't, I just, I struggled to talk about this because it's not operating in isolation. It's in communication with your heart, your lungs, your it's brain. It's all connected. It's all connected in the same person. But non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, that is skyrocketed in recent years, increasing our risk for heart attacks and strokes, for diabetes. And in particular, sugar is one of the biggest problems because your liver also is handling the glucose you're taking in. So we talked about insulin shuttling glucose into your fat cells, muscle cells, but also it's going to get stored in your liver as glycogen. All right. So and when that gets tapped, you know, like it reaches its full point and you got, and, and your liver keeps on taking more and more of that burden. Like I'll take what I can, I'll take what I can, I take, I'll take what I can because we can't keep shuttling this and your insulin resistance goes up, your insulin sensitivity for your other cells goes down. Your liver's going to just keep getting kicked in its liver nuts, basically. <laughs> right, right. Just and ooh, so, constantly. Yeah. And so it's going to create this kind of inflamed state. Wow. And if your liver goes, man, like it's a wrap. It's really it's a wrap. Yeah. So to re relate all the stuff that you talked about. And it's hard to keep the rest of your body healthy if the li liver is not healthy. It's hard to keep your brain, your thoughts healthy. It's hard to keep your heart healthy, your skin, yep. your other organs. Ooh, your liver is deeply connected to your skin health too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The list goes so on. So what impacts the liver the most? 
what types of foods, substances hurt the liver the most? That's a, that's a tough question. But, you know, the things that you already mentioned, again, being that it's responsible for drug metabolism, alcohol metabolism as well. Are there any benefits to drinking alcohol? Well, that, you know, that's a, that's an inflammatory question, but I mean, you know, my, one of my dearest friends and mentors, Dr. Daniel Amen, I mean, he's looking at the brain. He's, he's been doing this stuff a long time. And he also, we, him and I send studies back and forth. And, you know, the thing is we're going to validate, we're going to affirm anything that we enjoy. Right. And we're going to have a tendency to ignore, like, and I've even seen it in my clinical practice back in the day. People would be like, I don't want to know. Right? Don't tell me anything that's going to make me think differently this thing that I enjoy. And I'm not about taking joy away. I'm a joy advocate out here. I am about informed consent. I am about intelligent usage and utilization of things. And so one of the things that we see, and by the way, humans have been consuming alcohol for a long time. Alcohol is actually a macronutrient. Okay, so this is important. We have fats, proteins, carbohydrates. This is what I was taught in my university. You know, I went to a private university first. I went out to Lindenwood. But, you know, my university education was telling me there's these three macronutrients and these are your three things you got to focus on from a nutritional perspective and manage calories. Those are the two things to do. But in reality, water is a macronutrient as well. And alcohol is a macronutrient. Your body can use alcohol to fuel processes. That's what makes it a macronutrient. That being said, when you consume alcohol, it does something really interesting. It kicks on this phenomenon. It's called fat sparing. And so you might be, you, you know, you and I just hanging out here now and we haven't eaten in a while. Our body's going to be utilizing our stored fat for energy should it need to, right? It can break down stored glycogen from the muscles and from the liver. Yeah. But if we're just chilling in a relaxed state, the body's really good at using stored fat when we're just doing low impact things. All right. Now we, we bring some alcohol here and we drink that suddenly fat burning stops completely. Wow. Your body automatically switches over completely to utilizing that alcohol because this is why this is what makes it different. Your body can't store alcohol. Oh. Your body can store the other macronutrients, but alcohol is incredibly volatile. We evolved. If we're, if we're really going to look at this picture, Hundreds of thousands of years ago, early humans would find fruit that had, you know, fallen from the trees or whatever that had begun to get rotten and ferment, right? And consume that. And we developed over time the ability to metabolize that ethanol, to metabolize the alcohol that's getting resulted from this fermentation process. So it's like, we have that pathway. It doesn't mean that all alcohol is bad. We have it for a reason. So again, I'm trying to create a balanced indication of this here. However, then we created distillation. We was like, okay, this naturally current alcohol here, yeah. not enough. Yeah. We need more liquor in the liquor. We need more alcohol. We need spirits. All right. And so this process of distillation took it to another level, increasing the alcohol content of things abnormally. And it hits our cells different. This is something that's, again, it's relatively recent in human evolution to have access to so much alcohol at one time. And so with that being said, and with fat sparing taking place, again, this shuts down fat burning, all right? Your Especially body, if you drink at night, oh, it's, and you're not burning fat overnight. Yeah, it's it, again, your body has to use that immediately. And your liver is immediately going on red alert because it has to try to process this without killing you. Because I don't 
think we we really realize or talk about often in our culture how many people die from alcohol poisoning, right? And also not just the the deaths, but also the resulting brain damage that takes place. Like I, I just lost my father recently and I was actually at his funeral about two and a half weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago now. And he had been in a assisted living facility for about 15 years because of drugs and alcohol. Really? Creating brain damage. And he developed epilepsy from that. And I've seen this again, real time, firsthand. I grew up in that environment. I grew up during the crack epidemic. I've seen the impact that it had on my family members. I've lost family members to violence and the associated consumption of these things. I've seen it firsthand. And so I had a decision to make. Am I gonna follow that path or am I gonna do something different? And let me tell you, Lewis, this is why I'm here today, man. It's very difficult to change when you're in an environment that you're inundated with this stuff. I saw it as the only way until I got exposure to something else. Little happy accidents, little moments like getting bust out in the quote descent program to Lafayette High School and getting exposure to a different environment, having a friend that lived out there and going over to his house and seeing like, wait a minute, you guys aren't getting woken up by people fighting stuff breaking at night like you can just go to sleep and it's like cool like everything's gonna be normal when you wake up in the morning like it created this sense of certainty and peace and i'm just like oh i'm gonna live here when i quote grow up and you've been out to my house out there right by lafayette it's so crazy man and i didn't think about that until we moved in like that week i was like oh my god you know and this is this this speaks to the power that we have because it's not just we're not just victims of our environment we are products of our environment, absolutely. We don't have any choice but to be. Humans are incredibly adaptable. What's different about us is that we're also creators of our environment. We can consciously create the environment that makes health automatic, that makes healthy choices easy and accessible. We can create an environment that makes love and joy and friendships more accessible, safety more accessible, creativity more accessible. This is what makes us so special, okay? Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Other animals, this is, again, this is what makes humans exceptional. Shout out to the beavers. You know what I'm saying? They can build dams. They, can, you, they got their own beaver life. But with us as human beings, we have the ability to think externally of all these things, right? You know, I don't, I don't really want to disrespect beavers. Shout out to all the beavers and the dams. <laughs> but I'm, my point being that in reality, regardless of the circumstances, maybe the dam that the beaver built, we can foresee, we can plot plan we can create using different materials we can think about and measure and monitor all the problems with it 
we can think upstream, downstream. I know beavers think about that too. Let's shout out to the beavers, okay? But the bottom line is, you know, for us today, to for us to take full control of our ability to create and for, but for us to do this, and this is something that I'm so grateful for you because you've been on a mission to talk about. For us to do that and really understand our power to create, we have to put aside our victim story. Uh, we have yeah. to take responsibility Watch out now, you're gonna get people lives. coming after you. Tell people to let go of our victim story. Listen. But what, but what if you're, just, what I, if you're raised in a challenging place and all you have is food stamps and you don't have the jobs? I'm that you're guy. A, you're in a food desert what, and you're this is what makes me you're obese already and you're you can't get a job and you've got Listen, your parents are not around and most of the what people, if all these stories? Most of the people who are being warriors to try and say like, listen, this is not fair out here. It's about access. You have access. They don't. I come from that. I come from conditions where I didn't have access. I come from conditions where I was in the most poverty state here in the United States. I was getting food from charities to feed myself and my family. My mother, and again, like, well, why don't you guys just work harder? My mother worked overnight at a convenience store. She got stabbed eight times and almost died, okay? I lost my father to crack and alcohol. So when people are talking about this stuff, they don't really know what they're talking about. You're trying to stand up for people. Yes, it matters. You want to have access to, to health, to healthy relationships, to a healthy environment. It was a risk me going outside because of a drive-by. I grew up in that environment. But what people don't talk about and don't understand is all the beauty that exists there too. There's so much beauty. There's so much kinship. It's under volatile circumstances. It's like war. It's like soldiers bonding. All right? It's Coming real. together, helping each other, supporting each other. Exactly. Yeah. And... We also developed this resilient that this resilience that most people would never understand. And so, yes, creating the conditions where this is normalized, where people have access, that's one part. But even with that story, it's been like, oh, people need more access to healthcare. What kind of healthcare? This the kind of healthcare that is simply medicating symptoms and not helping people to address the root causes of their conditions that are making these companies, multi, multi, multi billion dollar companies, more profitable while people continue to suffer. And by the way, one of the studies that I reference is looking at obesity and chronic disease. Being in that state in a low-income environment makes it harder to get out of that environment. And that's a fact. And we know it. I know it experientially. Until I got healthier, I couldn't, I didn't know, I couldn't, I didn't have the awareness, the energy to lift myself out of that situation. So the access matters, yes. But also, we also have a choice. We also have power to change, even within the most up, trying, difficult, toxic, abusive circumstances. We have the ability to make a difference, even if it's just the difference in our own mind. Even if we're in an abusive situation, and which I've been in, I grew up in it. I had the ability to change my perception. I could have been sitting here today with you and holding on to that story about all the bad things that happened to me from my parents all the violence, all the abuse, but I chose to change my perception, to forgive them, to see even the glimmer of good that was in my stepfather, which was, there was actually a lot. And we got to celebrate that at his funeral and all these people that got to see him because he got clean, he had to, he's in this adult living facility and all these people coming up and sharing these stories that I'd never met before really sharing the same stories that I grew up with, his childlike nature, his 
always cracking jokes and making light of things. And also his work ethic, because even that was the, that was a thing I chose to take. That was the number one thing, no matter what happened to him, no matter what he went through the night before, no matter how inebriated he was, he always got up and went to work. He never missed a day, never missed a day. And so I picked that up. And so my work ethic, when I'm not doing this, I'm researching, I'm working myself, I'm studying, I'm teaching every day. I'm infatuated with it. I must do it. And I picked that up from him. Now, also, knowing this is the case and hearing these stories by all these people that were coming up, I chose to see that childlike nature because this also was the first man that I ever met that beat a video game. All right. He had Mike Tyson punch out. You know, he got the <laughs> Nintendo. He beat the game. You know, he'd be wow. up late at night. Sometimes I can get up, you know, after my brother and sister went to sleep and, and hang out with them. But there's this childlike nature. But something would change. Something would change over time. With And he had this story. He came from an environment of abuse, of, you know, uh, substance abuse as well. And he's replaying that. And then the, the demons would come out. All the things that he's been exposed to, all the oppression, all the things. And who's he going to take that out on? the people he loves most. But I, I chose to see that he was doing the best that he could with the person that he was, circumstances, what he was handed. And so we get to choose the meaning. We get to choose how we allow these things to control us or how we take control. Yeah. It's a powerful story, man. Thanks for sharing this. And for, you know, there's people that are gonna listen to this or watch this and I know people are going to share this with their friends who are maybe struggling or dealing with health challenges or maybe are in cities or environments or communities that aren't of a culture or mindset of health or they don't have the access to healthy foods and the culture chooses unhealthy decisions. And it's just they don't have the time to think. They're exhausted. They're stressed. They're overwhelmed. They don't have the money. And life didn't go their way to be able to make those choices or they've been unhealthy for a while now. What would you say to those individuals who are struggling when they're just like, it's easy for you to say, even though I hear this story that you were in that situation, but it just doesn't seem possible for me. What would you say to them? The, the, the piece that I didn't share that we've talked about in the past was that when I was living in that environment, I was diagnosed with an arthritic condition of my spine and bones. I was rapidly deteriorating. I was on a plethora of medications just to be able to sleep at night because the pain would keep me up at night. It was, it was absolute terror. It was anguish. It was constant pain and fear. I was living in fear. I was living of, of, in fear of standing up because every time I stood up, this sciatic lightning bolt would just go down my leg. And so I just stopped standing up as much as possible. And at the time, the physician that I was working with, the first physician, he of course took a look at my MRI. He told me that I had the spine of an 80 year old person when I was just 20. I was just a 20 year old kid. And he told me that this was incurable. I was just going to, this is unfortunately, he's gonna to have to live with this. He was sorry, but he was gonna give me some something to help me manage it. And there were two really popular drugs at the time, by the way. One was Celebrex, it's non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And the other was Vioxx, right? And if people know about Vioxx, Vioxx ended up killing. This was a drug um, that was distributed by Merck, one of the most powerful drug companies in the United States, even today. And this is, again, over 20 years ago. Vioxx factually killed 40,000, at least 40,000 
the estimation is 40,000 to 60,000 Americans killed. This is a fact. Killed wow. 40,000 at minimum of our people. Not to mention the hundreds of thousands of injuries and cardiovascular events that took place. And what they did was they knew the risk. They saw it in the drug trials, but they, they, they did a little bit of this, a little bit of that to hide the risk. And one, one of my friends and colleagues, John Abramson, done some really great work on this. He works in healthcare policy at Harvard, no big deal. And he was brought in in litigation in, in a lot of these big drug company trials. Drug companies just regularly, it's always something going on. And I'm talking about massive loss of life here, 40,000 people. And my physician put me on Celebrex, not Vioxx. I would have taken either without question. Wow. I just wanted to get out of pay. I might not be sitting here with you because a lot of young people died as well. All right. Now, all of this to say, even in that circumstance, there was little pieces of hope. There were little pieces of light that I can grab onto. Because especially in those dark times when it seems like everything is wrong, you're totally alone. Even my own mother, who I talked about earlier and her situation that she went through, she disappeared. You know, she was going through something in her life. I lost my mom. I couldn't, you know, I, she wouldn't, <laughs> I couldn't find where she was at. She left me. And this was after she borrowed some money from my refund check from UMSL from my college. I got a refund check and I was paying my rent with that. And my mom asked to borrow some money. I was like, mom, listen, I have to pay this rent. Uh, she disappeared. My mom, Jeez. my own mother left me to get put out on the street. I'm in chronic pain. Oh, I don't even have my mom. Dang. Okay. Let alone my dad. You know, I just, I never even met my biological father. You want me to keep going on how tough this can be on paper? <laughs> right. But the bottom line was this, even in those conditions, what happened was I grabbed onto that glimmer of light and I kept ignoring it for a long time. And that glimmer of light was my grandmother who kept on checking in on me every now and then. Like she knew that there's something was not right with me. And at, I just remember like how much she loved me and how much she invested in me and how much she knew I would be somebody and I would do something special in my life. And, and so just being able to honor her, I decided to get my ass up and to do something about this. After all of these physicians told me that they couldn't help me, I had to decide, what am I gonna do about this myself? Because I'd been outsourcing my health and my, and my potential to other people. And that's impossible, right? You could have people that can help you along the way, that can provide resources and coaching, but change is from the inside out. And so I made a decision to get well. Most people never do that. Please hear what I'm saying. Despite your circumstances, decide, decide and the resources. There are things right now in your world and your environment that are already there that you're not seeing because you're tuned into how f***ed up it is and how incapable you are. As soon as I made the decision to get well, no matter what, matter of fact, this is what I said, all right? And this is crazy. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get well. And I asked the question, what can I do? What can I do to feel better? What can I do to get well? What can I do to be the healthiest person in the world? I had no right to ask a question like that in the circumstances that I was in. And within a week, a friend of mine who I'd known her for years, she took me to Wild Oats and the Whole Foods. Like I'd known her for years and she was in chiropractic school. I just thought she was so weird, right? Her and her friends, like she'd invite me to some things. Just like, man, you guys are so weird. <laughs> she took me, but now I'm seeing through a new, new, new lens. I, I'm seeing through new eyes and I'm at this place 
And I'm going over to the books and I'm like looking at my condition, this arthritic condition. And I'm finding there's studies here. Like, wait a minute, this I, I'm deficient in vitamin D, but I'm wait a minute. Omega threes. Like, where am I? Am I getting any of this stuff? Like, and I found out like there's a mismatch. There was an environmental mismatch. My body was a result of the inputs that I was giving it. And so now I started to change the inputs and start to give my body all these things that had been lacking. But it was based on something that was already present that now I'm in tune into. And by the way, I didn't have money. I didn't have money, okay? <laughs> and so now I'm in a situation where I'm risking. For me to buy this omega-3 supplement, I'm risking paying my light bill, all right? But here's the rub. This is what happened. When I start to invest in myself, I start to feel better. I start to make more, you got more energy. I start to find more opportunities. I start to acquire more resources. When I first bought some goji berries, which are pretty popular now, there's tons of, tons of studies, and I talk about it in the book as well, just one of these great foods, but they didn't have them at Whole Foods or like even at these health food stores yet. And I was like getting them from this, there was like a, 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 a Chinese herbal place where they did like acupuncture and stuff. And I went in there and I like talking to the guy and it's just like a super, like I felt like I was in a movie, you know. Um, you got some goji bears I can get for me, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just so interesting. And, and by me doing that and investing in my health, within about two to three years, I was getting goji berries from free from the top company that was distributing goji berries. And this is a true story, all right? As a matter of fact, this is, I mean, they saw me, uh, they were doing an event somewhere. It's like one of those health expos. And, I, and, and somebody was asking a question to one of the people in the booth. And the person wasn't, she was like working with somebody else. I was like, oh yeah. And I started telling her about whatever it was. Maybe it was like chocolate or something. And then the other employee, but who was actually the manager of the setup, she heard me talking and she came over to me. She was like, who are you? Like, that was incredible. Mm. Cut to, I ended up getting connected to the CEO of the company. They sent me a pallet to my house in Florence and Ferguson, a pallet. <laughs> of these superfoods. That's awesome. And I started teaching nutrition classes and tell, bro, do you understand? That's cool. That was from me saying yes, me investing in myself, me saying, I decide to do this no matter what, I will find a way. I don't want people to downplay their capacity for greatness. I don't want people to downplay their capacity for figuring things out, for finding a way. Where there's a will, there's a thousand ways. Yeah, I love that, man. And I think it's also important to know that I mean, I don't think life is designed to be easy for everyone. I don't think anyone is supposed to have an easy life. Even if you're born in wealth, you still have challenges and other things you got to deal with. Maybe not money challenges, but other stuff you got to overcome. But I feel like once we accept that like, okay, there's supposed to be some challenges. How can I accept or embrace that this is a part of life always and find peace with the challenge? and start looking at things differently, then it's going to feel a lot easier as opposed to hard and challenging. So it's a perspective around that as well. So I'm grateful for that story because I just think people need to hear that. And I think people who feel like there's no way out need to see more studies, more stories like yours explaining what is possible when you have a lack of health, you can't stand up, your parents are gone, you got no money, you're in a sick culture and community and town, um, all that. So it's possible, which I think is really inspiring. There's something you said there that I'm just curious. I wanted to touch on about 40, 
thousand-ish people die from a drug that was prescribed uh, from our health professionals and, and health companies, drug companies. Do you know the stats on how many drug-related deaths there are a year in America? Absolutely, I do. Of course what, I do. Yeah, I'm, what it, how, many, how many people die due to drugs every year? This is according to the EJS Center for Ethics at Harvard. You know, again, reputable organization. And the researchers affirmed, and by the way, I did all of these resources, anything that I talk about, you can triple check. All right. And so again, it's the EJS Center, because something like this is paradigm shifting. The EJS Center for, for Ethics at Harvard determined that about 180,000 Americans die annually from prescribed, from Holy properly prescribed medications. 180,000 die a year from yeah. prescribed medications. From yeah. like doctors saying, take this. Yes, properly prescribed medications. Now, wow. again, this is not to con to create any kind of controversy. Our, we need our physicians. We need pharmaceutical companies. We just need more ethics. We need better understanding. We need more education around the possible downsides and not treating a symptom instead of helping people to remove the underlying cause of the condition so they don't need the drug, they don't need the added risk. Right. Now, that, that's just deaths. We're not talking about the millions of hospitalizations. Again, these are all confirmed, but this is the, why most people don't know this. And this is why we need to have a little bit more compassion for this research from these, again, from research at Harvard, is that this isn't something that's easily checked off on a death certificate, right? We, we know today about comorbidities, but saying that this person died from a drug, properly prescribed drug, requires that the researchers dig so adamantly into the data. And Finding the cause. It's very difficult because it could be anaphylactic shock. It could be, you know, heart attack, whatever. And what, what caused what that? Caused it. Yeah, yeah. You feel me? This is, this is the problem. This is another mismatch with perceived data right? That, that the public sees in actual data, there's a mismatch. So there's probably more people die every year that are somehow related to prescribed it's drugs. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to say. It's very difficult to pinpoint, especially if time has gone on, right? And now again, but we have a model today of healthcare that is drug dominant. They, we have a drug model of healthcare in the United States. It's not, a, it's not true healthcare. It's a model that is farming sick people. It's a model that is dependent on repeat customers, right? You getting well is losing a customer. Why on earth would they do that? It's just not logical, right? And so the more people that are taking these prescription medications and the longer they're taking them, the better. It's just, we have an unfortunate healthcare model that depends on people to be sick in order for it to be sustainable. And our economy here in the United States, obviously there are a lot of problems. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. 
Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. One of the safest, most surefire bets for investors is investing in healthcare because we have so many sick people. It is one, it is one field that continues to grow. True, man. And so for our economy to depend on the sickness of its citizens, we have a very twisted reality right now, which goes back to we have to change the culture. And the culture starts with you and your family because here's the cool thing about culture. Yes, we can go and visit a culture, right? I just visited a culture in Maui, for example. I've never been to Hawaii. That was amazing. Oh, man, it's amazing. And so we can go and visit a culture, but when we go to a culture, we're taking our culture with us. And so people are seeing it. People are seeing your culture, the culture of your family everywhere you go. You're modeling it. That's all I needed. This kid from those circumstances, I just needed to see what health looks like. I just needed I just needed a glimmer of light from somebody that cared about me, right? Those things start to add up because also most importantly though, for me to see those things, there was a willingness that I had to turn on within myself. Yes. I had to stop making excuses and turn that willingness on. And even if you live in a community or a city that has a culture that is not health focused or is struggling to get there because of circumstances, what I'm hearing you say, correct me if I'm wrong, you can change your individual culture and the culture of you and your personal environment of your room, your home, your, you know, the block you're on and the people in your life. But, but it has to start with you. And people in your life may not come on board in that culture for years. You may say, hey, look, this is hurting you and I'm making this change, but they may stay stuck for a while until they see you truly modeling it time and time again to seeing lasting change. Yeah. It's hard to get others to convert, specifically family members sometimes yeah. who are struggling the most. Listen. And that can be extremely painful. If, if you have kids, you already know that this is... <laughs> It is, a, it is a challenge to say the least. And so this is what, what I created this book for was, thankfully, again, our life experiences. There's this great quote from my friend, Michael Beckwith. Hmm. That's my guy. He just texted me Love on him. the way in here. Great guy. He said that God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Hey. Life qualifies you for the work or the situation that you are presented with. Where I'm coming from, it would be very unlikely that I would end up in this position. But I spent years, for example, working as a nutritionist and seeing people day in, day out, just like one after the other, doing, you know, I was going to all these big organizations, you know, and, and going in and doing these different talks and things like that. But I got to see, and the thing is, some things is like, all you got to do is just pay a little attention and you'll get it. I got to see the biggest complaint or perceived challenge that people had in changing their health and to hear it from their own mouths. Do you want to know what it was? What was it? It was other people. Right. All right. The reason that people had most often was my husband won't, my kids won't, you don't understand. Right, I'm right. making this for them, whatever. Like there was always pointing the finger and I would get them to point it back to themselves, but also it, it developed these tools to help them to change those conditions. And so with that being said, we have to understand that we know our family better than anybody, but Part of that is like, we tend to operate from this one line of communication. The thing that doesn't work with our family members, we keep doing the same thing over and over again. And instead of like using it to our advantage, especially being a parent, 
we've got to be the benevolent dictator and not like a democracy is cool. We can get some votes in, <laughs> but also like creating structures to where we understand like we are the leader of this family yes. and start to leverage psychology and understanding these little lives or big, you know, I've got my two sons in my house. One's 11, one's 22. Right? He's in his last semester of college. And I know their personalities and I know what excites them and brings about more joy. And I know what de-excites them and brings about more frustration, right? I know those triggers. And so utilizing psychology, social psychology, to create conditions to where all this stuff starts to work together to change that that family dynamic in the culture. So how, how do we do this? I mean, obviously, again, this is going to be personality-based. Number one, we got to realize our power, but planning out, and this is just the simple thing. I started, I said this is the most important takeaway from the episode, making a decision to have those three family meals a week. How do we do that when this hasn't been normalized in our family, right? How do we do this if most times, if you're growing up like I did, I can count on my hands, Lewis, how many times I sat down and ate a meal with my, with wow. my parents. Wow, growing up. And yeah, I'm not kidding. I can count on my hands, right? One parent's always gone, right? And also, it was more like a free-for-all. We'd eat at the same time, but we just go, like, plop down in front of a TV, video game, whatever, or if we're out somewhere, whatever. But we would rarely sit down for a meal together, okay? How do we do this? I think we would have revolted a little bit. Like, if they're like, okay, no technology. We're going to sit down. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to have fun. Because Lewis said so. That's not the way to go about it. Yeah. All right? We've got to find... We got to leverage human psychology, which is something very simple. We don't like things taken away from us unless they're being replaced with something of equal or greater value. Okay. It makes it easier. All right. And also we resist change. You know, our, the human brain is always trying to sync up and create routine and pattern and automate behaviors. And so understand like this might be a little bit uncomfortable, but find some creativity in it. And you're going to have to evoke as a parent, more patience, more compassion, more of an attitude of figuring things out, right? Becoming an investigator. But I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the Whoa. resources. That's part of the reason I'm... you don't have any of that stuff. Right. All right. Is the, the the lack of this family dynamic and all the peace and connection and health that that brings. So this is a top priority because this factually creates a protective force field around your family. And so with that being said, those three days, let's find a way to make this joyful. Right. And so even in the food preparation part, I give some strategies in this, the kitchen, changing the kitchen culture. Right. So for example, somebody might like to cook, but they don't do it often. What would be an attractor for you to do it more often? Right. Leverage your own psychology. Would it be like playing your favorite music? You know, Lewis loved a salsa, like throwing on the salsa music and like dancing where you're making, you know, hanging sure. out with your, your loved ones. Would it be putting on a show and binge? That's what my wife does. She watched Real Housewives uh -huh. or something. Well, she's cooking right, right, one of those cities. I yeah. don't know, you know, but that's like her kind of guilty pleasure. It's like her desserts yes, exactly. when she's eating healthy. And she knows that I'm not, I'm not going to be participating in this. So right. you know what I mean? And so she'll do that or she'll talk to her sister, her mom, you know, on the phone while she's cooking. Like she's finding a way to leverage the time. Right. And so the same thing, we can invite our kids in to the process and depending on the age and what they're used to as well, it's going to depend on how they fit into these things. One of the things I'm guilty of, unfortunately, was, yes, my kids, both of my, all three of my kids are, are, are really good cooks. So my, my daughter back in St. Louis, but all of my, all of my three kids can cook, but 
they could be even more advanced if I would have let them in the kitchen more often. Because a lot of times when we're busy and, and my kid will come in and like, dad, can I help? No, not now, buddy. Or not now, baby. Like we got to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just get this done. I started to, I finally recognize this and I start to turn on that yes muscle. Yeah. Come help me do this. Come chop this up or. It, unfortunately is because I'm, I'm a very data driven human. I came across a study that showed that <laughs> most, <laughs> the majority of kids today don't know how to cook for Not themselves. Yeah. All right. It is, it's like an endangered species skill set. To it's be like, able to cook. It's like wood shop or something, you know, it's like, I don't right. know, put me in a freaking hammer and some tools, I'm like, a uh, bird house, yeah, yeah. you know, but you know, so realizing that, oh man, like this is a valuable life skill yeah. that I'm taking away from my child being able to, and guess what's going to happen when they don't have that skill set? They're going to eat mostly ultra processed. Convenience, fast food, take so, out. Again, this is a responsibility as a parent. And to be able to pass this on and shifting the culture to be able to do it. So seems like the, a lot of work. I don't know if I, all right. know, I got a lot no, of the time. We don't even got to get into that part. Now. We don't got to get into that part. Let's just stick with the three meals with the family each. I week. like that. Yeah. So what can we do to like, make this more attractive and leverage time? I've experimented. All right. One of the things, <laughs> for example, that we do is we have, <laughs> we know that there's going to be like a post meal something, a post meal event. This could be a freestyle competition. This could be a family game, you know, it just, you got to get leverage the psychology of the, of the room and know like what is going to make this, this connection opportunity more valuable. Right. And so a lot of times too, if there's a meal prep opportunity, even inviting them into the, the meal suggestion, like, you know, asking my youngest son, like, okay, we're going to do a dessert tonight. Which dessert do you want after family dinner? Oh, oh all here is a dessert. Right, right, right. You don't have to have the resistance of like, I can't game with my friend. Right. He's like, oh, I love, I love desserts, you know, like, oh, I want that. Right. So it's just like these little psychological sure, tools. Sure. I love that. Know? And so again, finding a way and there's, there's so many cool resources. And by the way, we've got a resource guide with the new cookbook for like, for example, there's these cards that have like these questions, like family questions. You, you ask oh, each family member, cool. you know, as we're Deeper having a connection. Yeah. And so one of the things we do, and you you do something similar, before we have our meals, we also go around and we share what you're things that we're grateful for from that. the day. I love that. Right. We've been doing that for years. Right. I love this. I want, I want people to get this book because I think this is going to change the game for a lot of individuals and families. It's Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. Uh, make sure you guys go pick up a copy, get one for a friend, you know, all that stuff. It's the companion cookbook to Eat Smarter, which is a national bestseller, featuring a hundred family-friendly recipes that are mouth-watering, delicious recipes to help you boost your metabolism, up-level your energy, and start living a happier life. And with what I heard, 43% obesity in the U.S., uh, you know, 80-something percent of an unhealthy metabolism uh, in the U.S., this is a powerful solution for a lot of people these days to come together, create more harmony, more family, more friendship, and be healthier in the process. Make sure you guys get Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. So where people want to go is to eatsmartercookbook.com. And right now, as of this recording, we put together something really special to add on. Because as Lewis is saying, I love this about you, is that what about the argument side? Well, it's not just going to be from my perspective, because this year we're putting on the first annual Family Health and Fitness Summit. Ooh, let's go. And you're going to be able to hear from some of the leading experts in health and fitness in the world that have kids and how they're able to handle things like 
That's great. Preparing meals with a busy schedule, with dealing with picky eaters, with saving money on groceries. The list goes on and on. We got people like Layla Ali, right? Mm, that's great. Undefeated boxing champion, but she also won won the show Chopped, the cook, cooking show mm. twice. Wow. I've eaten with Layla several times. Oh my goodness, so good. We got Gabby Reese as nice. well. We've got Dr. Will Bolsowitz. We've got Dr. Daniel Amen. Oh man, and just, these are just be? some of the people. So this is going to be a virtual event. Oh nice. And people get access to it for free. That's amazing. When they pre-order the book, it's a $297 summit ticket and you get that for free. Eatsmartercookbook.com. That's right. Eat smarter. You just got to get one of those books and you get that summit? Yeah, Eat Smarter Cookbook. Just one copy Dang. and you get free access to the summit. We're also Dang. doing a 25K health and fitness giveaway. You get registered for that. So many cool things. And we can, you can go right now and, and get it and you'll have access to all that stuff. We're going to get right. sent that That's stuff. Right. This, is just, this is just for the pre-order. All right, so definitely take advantage of this now. And the summit, again, I'm very excited about this because we're bringing together more voices and more powerful people in this community to create a movement of health and wellness to really shift it so that health is normalized in our culture. That's why everyone needs to get eatsmartercookbook.com. Go there, get a, get a book or two. Give it to a friend, family member, someone who likes to cook, someone who wants to get into cooking. Um, make sure you guys get a few copies if you can. Eatsmartercookbook.com and follow you everywhere, man. You're, uh, the Model Health Show is a powerful resource. Twice a week now? Yeah. Twice a week now? I won't say thanks to me. For, your <laughs> for years, man, you've been telling me. Yeah. Uh, make sure you guys go to the Model Health Show. Um, you're everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. We'll have it all linked up as well uh, in the description. But get the book, Eat Smarter Cookbook. We'll have an image popped up on the screen. We'll have it in the description. So much more we can talk about, man, but I, I want people to go take action there. 100 family-friendly recipes to boost, help boost your metabolism, up-level your energy, and start living a happier life. And if people want uh, to hear your three truths and your definition of greatness, we'll link up the previous episode where you share those things. Sean, I'm grateful for you, man. Grateful for your heart. Appreciate it. Acknowledge you for, I don't know anyone who researches as much as you. Maybe there's like a handful of people that do the research and find the studies and speak into these things the way you do. So I really appreciate the depth of knowledge around a lot of challenging topics and things that aren't always as they seem. One thing isn't always the way it is because it might have a few other things you have to go down the rabbit hole to understand the whole picture. So appreciate and acknowledge you. Thank you. Grateful for you, man. Thanks for being here. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis house. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 